Hi, I'm Sylvia Polini and welcome to the Monday Breakfast Show. This is a segment of the Twisted Perspective podcast. This segment covers great conversations that I have with amazing people, all directing to self-awareness, growth, life, health, money, sex, and relationships. So you can grab your cup of tea or coffee and join us on today's episode. There is that uh, aspect of fatherhood being uh, mis- misunderstood as just being the provider in, in terms of housing, education, and, and clothing. That is really not the role of a father. The father is more than provision. On today's episode, I'm here with Elizabeth Kimondo, a trained counselor and mentor who has a heart that wants to see healthy and flourishing relationships. She's a super mom of four, a grandma, a sister, an auntie to many, and a friend. She recently launched her book, Dare to Step Out, that talks about the role, authority, and responsibility of a father. So as I was reading the book, I couldn't help but try and relate what she was saying in the book to this generation's idea of fatherhood and just parenting in general. And so I'm about to have a fire conversation with Mrs. Kimondo on parenting in today's generation. It's really yeah. an honor and a pleasure mm-hmm. to come and share and uh, just to expound what it means, what it is to be a parent in this generation and why you know, um, write the book on fatherhood. And uh, I'm just excited. And um, it's, as I hear the birds chirping and them singing, I'm, I'm praying that this conversation will go in the same way, that we will enjoy each other's company and that the those listening will also enjoy it as well. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's dive right in and talk about your book. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the inspiration behind the book, writing about fathers? It's very unique seeing a woman writing about the role and the authority and responsibilities of a father. What was the inspiration behind that? Okay. Um, the desire, actually, to write this book is in my forward, and I will just read it out because that is... That is actually the inspiration for this book. And so the desire to write this book was influenced by a gap I witnessed stemming from my own childhood and the yearning I had to have my father around more often and him not being there because of his numerous business commitments. My father was a businessman, but by the time I was born, he just entered into the political arena and therefore he was hardly at home. And I longed to have, because the days he would be uh, parliament would close down, then he would be home, and we would have such a fun time. We would drive around the farm. We lived on a farm, and therefore he would be there, and we would drive, drive around the farm, and we would sit in my grandmother's room, and he'd be telling us escapades about uh, his um, time in parliament and what was happening. And that, for me, I longed for that more often. And when he was not Uh, in Parliament, then he was running his businesses. And this, for me, I felt a void. And uh, we always had people at home. And therefore, there would always be this, shh, you know, your father has all these visitors, and therefore we'd be in our rooms, and we'd be quiet. And that, I felt stifled, because I wanted my father. I wanted to 
sit on his lap. I wanted us to go round the farm. I wanted to hear his stories. I wanted him to come and see me in school acting. And he wouldn't be there because when Parliament was in session especially, he would be in Nairobi throughout. And uh, we'd all be crowding in the evening around the telephone. Those days there were no mobile phones. And, and therefore... The, the telephone with the... You have to... No, we didn't have the one. The one you held, the handheld one, uh -huh. and then you, you spoke onto a mic. No, we had the normal, the one, the handheld one. Ah, yes, right. that's the one we had during our time. And so all of us would crowd, and each and, every, each and every one of us would get a turn to speak to him. And it left such a longing for more. Uh, and, but apart from that also, as I have grown up and getting married, even before I got married, looking at other families, there was such a void, and it still is there. A void in, in the father, absentee fatherism, because of this be all you can and can all you can get. Mm -hmm. And going back to school, right now we have fathers going back to school and they are working. And therefore, the chasm in between has become very wide. And even in ministry, we are thinking about the business people only, but even in ministry, we have fathers who are in ministry and they've become absentee fathers because of ministry. They are either visiting the sick or they are preparing sermons or they have seminars. And therefore, children are growing up with absentee fathers, with fathers who are not there, or even if they are there, they are too caught up. And now these days we have sports. You know, most fathers are on super sports. So you come home in the, mo in the evening and you're on remotes. Mm -hmm. And three quarters of the times, the children are also caught up in their homework. So the only time that would be available would be weekends. So this book was born because of the void. And children growing up because of this void, growing up, and because these needs were not met, things and conditions arise from them and hence that's why this book um, that's why this book was birthed so to speak wow mm. that's amazing mm. to hear it's it's really interesting to hear you talk about um your dad like that my mm. granddad i never got to meet him <laughs> so i have like a whole picture um on how he was then it's mm. pretty interesting whenever i hear these stories a lot yeah yeah so um what do you feel has mainly been misunderstood in today's role of a father in our generation um as i have written in my book a father is mainly seen as a provider that is a house education food his role as an emotional and spiritual provider is not amplified and i feel it's a misconception because a father plays such a big role, or rather the God-given role of a father. And it's just been relegated to those three, provision, protection, and sometimes protection is not even there, you know, because you're supposed to protect your children, and things are happening to children because they are not there. 
And people will ask, I'm not talking about women, but today we're not talking about mothers. Mm -hmm. We are talking about, about fathers. fathers yeah. So uh, I, I don't want to get a blast from people asking, so where is the mother in terms of protection, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, we are talking about, about fathers. Yeah, so there is that uh, aspect of fatherhood being uh, mis misunderstood as just being the provider in, in terms of housing, education, and, and clothing. That is really not the role of a father. The father is more than provision. A father is the spiritual head. A father is a protector. A father is a role model. A father is a vision giver. He's the one who gives the vision, who's supposed to be giving vision. When the child is small, they are not, they grow up under boundaries. He is the one supposed to be the visionary. I know we have, and this is a topic for another day about feminism mm -hmm. and all that. That is not the place. And when I speak about fathers, I'm speaking from a biblical viewpoint. When I've, I've just noticed being around my friends right now, mm -hmm. when I'm handling my own finances, mm -hmm. that we really borrow a lot from how our parents handle their finances. So if you know our moms were chilling and our dads were, this is how, this is their relationship with money, mm -hmm. it really comes down to us. So I actually have two questions on this. First mm -hmm. is, um, what do you think is the appropriate relationship someone should have with money? Mm -hmm. And um, how do you train your children to have a good relationship with money? Okay. Um, I believe habits are caught more than taught. And I say this because as much as I said that my father was, um, was not um, there, when my father was around, he was absolutely available. He spent quality time when he was around. Now the reason why I'm saying habits are caught is because of the value system that he instilled in each one of us and the value system was family. For me, that was the one thing, and he never spoke about it. He never sat us down and said, you know, family is very important, and therefore you should know that. But it's what he lived. The relationships I saw with his own siblings and with us. And therefore, till today, for us as a family, the family institution and holding a family together in spite of what they are or what they may become, family is very important to me. Now the reason I go back to this is your question about money. How do we handle money as parents? As you said, most of what you do is how you see your parents handle money. Mm -hmm. And therefore, handling money is a very delicate balance because how do I, or what have I taught my children about money? In the way I buy them things, or in the way I handle money, or in the way I live. Because that's how children grow up seeing the worth of money. Do, am I a saver? Do I teach them principles of earning money? Like um, in terms of pocket money, it may not even be in, in pocket money, in terms of rewarding. Whether it be in school, if you become this number, or if you get this grade, then this will be done. Because it's teaching them how to reward. And knowing that hard work pays. But if you just become um, lax in what you do and how you live, and then I reward you, 
what does that teach you? It teaches you that whether I work or I don't work, I will still be rewarded. And therefore, for me, it was very, it's very important that we teach our children that hard work pays. And again, it's not me forcing you to work hard. And it comes even from schoolwork. When you're doing your schoolwork, am I encouraging you? Am I, is it in terms of, um, is it dictatorial? Or is it teaching you how to be disciplined in doing your homework, in giving your reports, in allowing that when you don't do your work, you get punished. And when you get punished, then you know you're not doing your work for your parents. And I'll give you an example. When I was growing up, uh, my father being a politician, therefore he had a voice. And I remember when I was in class seven, my sisters were in Limuru Girls. My, there were two older sisters, but there was the second born Vicky and the third born Alice. Alice was the hard worker. Vicky was kind of lax, but they went to LGS. And for me, I'm like, hmm, my father, even if I don't work hard, my father will get me the school of my choice. Or so I thought. And therefore, I didn't work hard in class seven. I played, literally. I did play in class seven because I knew my father was an important man and he would get me the school of my choice. But woe unto me and shock on me. He told me, your points will get you to where you know, you want to go. In his position, would he have gotten me a better school? Yes, he could have. But he told me, no. Because your points got you here, that's where you want to go. And I went to the school of my points. And I thank God for that because it was a hard school. It was a difficult school. It was a school that I, I lived life that I had not lived in my own home. It was hard showering with cold water. I always showered with hot water. It was hard eating githeri every day that I didn't even eat in my own home. It was hard going to the river. I never went to the river. For the first time, I was going to the river. So it was a very, very hard life. But that hard life turned me around from a spoiled brat and I think to the woman I am today because it taught me that I don't harvest where I've not planted. And for me, it's the same with pocket money, that I only reward or teach my children how to know that hard work pays. And I thank God that I am married to a man who grew up in the same way earning money the hard way and respecting hard work. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Um, you've uh, talked about earning it. Mm -hmm. You have to work hard for it. Yes. What about spending it? How do you teach children how to spend money the right way? Because there are people who teach their children that when you get money, mm -hmm. spend 20, save 80. When you get money, that means freedom. Go all in, buy whatever you want. When you get mm -hmm. money, um, be responsible, pay your bills first and then do ABCD. So how do you teach your kids to spend money the right way? Again, taught. Taught in the way I live. Have we ever missed anything in the house because I went and bought a dress or bought jewelry or went out to restaurants? Then when we got home, we were not able to eat. No. It's my home is well taken care of, and therefore whatever I have to spend is surplus. 
I am not spending what I do not have. If we do not have, then we don't have. We don't go borrowing because we don't have. We spend what we have. And that for me, excuse me, is very important because the lives we are living today, we are living beyond our means. We are spending more than we are earning because of the Joneses, because my friends are doing. And therefore, as a parent, how am I teaching my children? Am I always over debt? I'm always, am I always in debt at the end of the month because of things I have taken on credit and therefore I can't pay? Am I going overboard because of, um, because of uh, wanting to impress my friends, so to speak, the clubs I go to? Am I always going out and eating out and at the end of the day I have nothing at home? That's why I say that habits are caught because kids grow up looking. I think I saw that with my father because we bought things in wholesale and every single day my dad there was a list we wrote from home of the orders. There was actually an order book, a real order book. Oh. Yes, you know monthly what was bought was bought in wholesale and then we had weekly and then we had daily and there was an order book and if something was not it was cancelled, it wasn't bought. It doesn't matter how much you grumbled. If my father thought it was a luxury, it was cancelled. If he didn't think that luxury, he could afford it, then he cancelled it. Today, and that's why I realized today, I didn't understand it then. Today I realize I am who I am and some of the things that I will not cow down to or bow down to, even with my own children, if I can't afford it, I can't afford it. And I don't feel ashamed about it. But one thing I do know, and uh, again, I will not go out there to have, even if I'm cancelling it at home, then I will not go out there and spend it just because I have it. I will make sure that my house is adequately, adequately has. Now, when you say about going out and spending it, do I have it to spend it? So that tomorrow I'm again coming to borrow or I'm, I'm borrowing from a friend. If I don't have it, I don't go out. Even now, as I'm an adult, if I don't have it, I will not go out because I don't have it. And I want to believe that my children have learned that also. But that doesn't mean then I'm going to become a miser. You know, there's a difference between saving and becoming a miser. Yeah. I am going to live well within my means. I am going to adequately enjoy life because life is for the living, it's not for the dead. And therefore, I am going to choose to enjoy my life in the now. Not misery, therefore I'm saving everything for that rainy day that may never come. Or I may never even get to that rainy day. So I'm going to enjoy that time with the parameters that I am not cheating mm -hmm. where I should be giving. Because on the other hand, there's something called, I, I've taught my children about tithing. I always, the first fruit, you know, your, 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 your gross, mm -hmm. you must tithe. And therefore, I am not eating from my tithe. I am not eating from giving to the poor because that's a prerequisite for my life. Because I saw it growing up. I saw my father take care of us. I saw him take care of his own uh, parent, take care of my mother's parent, and take care of his siblings and still have enough to spend. And therefore, that is for me too. That I have enough for my family. 
I have enough for to my extended family, but more than that, that I do not forget to tithe and also my offering. That is very key in my life. Well, I think I think tithing would be a podcast on its own. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> tithing would be just yes, another absolutely. podcast on its own. Yes. But yeah, I get that. Um is it is it a uh, do people do older people have that pressure of wanting to do things because their friends are doing it or is it just with young people oh yes they do oh you've heard of midlife crisis ah yeah yes yeah, yeah, yeah. we have midlife midlife crisis where um my friends are going out or they are buying or their new outfits in town we have the same one uh, oh. just because we are older doesn't mean the feelings go or the emotions get yeah. buried somewhere. Mm. You know, we still have the same feelings, but again, it's choice. What do I choose to do with these emotions, with these feelings, mm-hmm. with this appearing? I have an occasion, I have a wedding. I've been going to the wedding with the same outfit for the past three years. Do I get pressure to get a new to outfit? It, yeah. Exactly. Or will I say, it doesn't matter. I'm here to have fun with my friends mm. and therefore I'm okay. And I'll tell you a story. I, you know, as you grow, it's important to realize that pressures will be there, but it's what you choose to do with them and the lessons that God teaches us. I used to be, um, if I went for a function, whether it was in Akuru or Nairobi, and I'm talking about my younger days, my Mm -hmm. 20s, whether it was a wedding or a party, didn't matter. From head to toe, I bought a different outfit. And the lesson, it was a very, very painful lesson that the Lord taught me. Because I used to have debts, all my money would come in and would go to pay off debts for outfits or for shoes or for hats. Those were the days we wore hats. So for me, my hat, my handbag and my shoes had to match. And so this time uh, I had a salon in town and my sister had traveled and brought things for me to sell in my boutique and I sold them for her. And graciously, she told me, the money is yours. I think that was the most painful thing because I took all this amount and paid my debts. It was so painful because I had all this and I had to pray. I said, Lord, help me. I remember when this advert of the royal card first came out and um, uh, there was this lady on TV, the advert, the advert on TV. Uh-huh. And the lady was going from the hair salon to a shop, to a restaurant. And everybody, I remember we were sitting with my friends and say, oh my goodness, that lady reminds me of Liz. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I was so mortified. I mean, that's how people saw me as a spendthrift. Mm-hmm. And I told myself, no, Liz, this can't go on. Uh, I was already a mother of two by mm-hmm. then. And I was like, Lord, this can't go on, you know, because at the end of the month, fine, I'm paying my bills, but whatever I have surplus, I'm paying debts. And I prayed, and I thank God that for me, because before I wouldn't, carry, I wouldn't wear a black shoe with a brown handbag, or a brown handbag with a green shoe. If I wore a green shoe, it would have to go with a green handbag. They had to match. And the Lord delivered me from all that. I used to have all colors of shoes, and I don't believe I have all colors of shoes now, because I've learned, it's not things that make me. But again, that's a topic of another day about self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Because I thought things gave me, I didn't realize them, but then things were giving me the oomph that I needed. Yeah. You know? And so I learned that things don't make me. I am who I am because of what I tell myself. 
So the next question is, um, do you think there's a right time to have kids? Because uh, I'll just speak for young people, maybe mm -hmm. not all, all, all of them, but most of them. It's um, people are never ready to have kids. Mm -hmm. That's where the, the pro or anti-life comes in. And um, you never know when the right time is to have children. Is it when I'm 25? Is it when I have a business? Is it when I'm married? Is it, is, can I just have a kid at any time? So is there a right time? I think a right time is when you choose to have a family. You can choose to get married at 20. You can choose to get married at 30. But to have a kid is really a choice. And why I say it's a choice, um, we may think, oh, raising children takes money. And I remember a saying that my mother taught me, told me every child has its own blessing. And she gave me an example. At that time, my dad had passed away and my elder sister had passed away. And I remember her telling me, every child, God gives the provision for that child. And when they are gone, their money or whatever was taking care of them goes. And I've come to see that that's true because she gave me an example and she told me, remember when your father was alive, he had his own budget and his expenditure. But when he died, where is that surplus now? We don't have it. And it was true. You'd have thought, my dad, with what he used to spend in a month, now we'd have extra. It wasn't there. My sister, when she passed away, she, you know, uh, had her own, she had lots of medical bills. And, um, and when she passed away, you'd have thought the money we used to spend on medical bills would then be available. But it wasn't there. And I came to realize that actually that is true. As much as we don't see it, it's very true that God makes provision for every child. But to your question is, is there a right time? A right time for me is when you make the choice to have a child. That is the right time. Because when you make that choice, then you make the provision for it. Because you prepare yourself mentally, you prepare yourself emotionally, and you begin to um, have, uh, what would I call it? To have a platform on where you are reading about it, you are researching on it, and these days, you're lucky there's, there's Mr. Google. Anything you want is on Google, and therefore you can research on it. So for me, the right time is when you make the choice to have that child, not when it's thrust upon you. When it's thrust upon you, you have to deal with a lot. You have to deal with self, where I was not ready, here is a child, uh, then you're dealing with what do I do? If you're not married, then am I getting married? And if you're single and you're very young, then you're dealing with the issue that you're talking about pro-life, then am I aborting it? Am I keeping it? You know? And there are so many other consequences that go alongside that. That's, I think, it's a topic for another day. Yeah. But in terms of is there a right time? The right time is when you make the decision. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Totally with that. Yes. Totally with that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, at what point do you start treating your children like adults and just letting them make their own decisions and not... Um, constantly being like a helicopter parent you want to make all the decisions for them you mm -hmm. want to tell them don't do this do this instead at, at what point you just let them make their own decisions um 
I will not go into the scientific aspect of it and when children can really make their own uh, when the brain the cognitive mind is 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 mature enough to start knowing when and how to make their make the decisions which they say is 16 um and I stand to be corrected which uh, I think is 16 and so before age 16 then I am the decision maker but in terms of making those decisions, there is a responsibility in terms of making beds, in terms of correction, in terms of washing dishes, in terms, as we said, in terms of pocket money, mm -hmm. in terms of who you spend your time with. There are some decisions that I will not allow. And I won't say really an adult, because an adult for me is somebody who is living on their own, somebody who's making their own decisions uh, in terms of their own money. But even then, when they are adults, like now I have a married daughter, I will not enforce uh, my advice on her. I will expect her to come to me. When she seeks advice, I will say it. But if I see she's moving out, I will give it. But there is, I don't have the same agency or the same force that I would have if she was under my roof. It's where I give it and I allow the choice to be made. And just like you, you're an adult. It's where your mother cannot enforce where you spend your time or what you do with your money because you're earning it. So as you're saying, if you're an adult living under my roof and dependent upon me, then I still have a say over you because this is my house. This is my environment. I will not allow you to just come and have your friends over and therefore I come home and I'm wondering where to sit because your friends and you have occupied everything I have. I will have a say and I'll tell you, this is my home, you treat it with respect. Whereas if you're in your own place, then if I come, I come under your umbrella and therefore I respect your space. So in terms of being a helicopter mom, I know there are those parents who will even come, go to their children's places and wash and clean. I don't believe that's the right thing to do. When you have your own place, I will come and give the advice of, hey, you know, um, it would be nice if you did one, two, three. But actually, I would leave the result to you. Whereas if it's in my house, I will not allow you to throw shoes and socks everywhere else. I'll tell you, pick, it, pick them up. You know, this is my home. You pick them up. So in allowing you to take responsibility of your own, in the environment of my house, there will be boundaries. I will allow you the freedom, but there will be boundaries. The same way, I don't wait until you're an adult. Even a six-year-old, even my grandson right now, and I know one of the most difficult things for him is to pick his toys. But I'm, I'm teaching him, you, you, you put out your toys, you pick them up and put them away. That's your responsibility. So you start teaching responsibility, not waiting until you're an adult. Mm -hmm. Because what was never taught at this age, you cannot teach when somebody is already an adult. So it's in, it's, in the, it's in the little things that you do in teaching how to put things away, in teaching how to wash dishes. Then when they are gold, that's when you train a child in the way that he should go. Mm -hmm. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. For a time, they may look like they've departed from it and you keep making noise and tidy up your bedroom and tidy up your bedroom. But you see the lessons that you taught when somebody gets their own home they realize, you see, there's no, that, that voice that used to speak. Sometimes I think teens yeah. do things in rebellion, you know, yeah. just because you're telling them to do, then they don't do. But you realize the things that you taught actually get done.
The things are put away, clothes are put away, toys are put away. Somebody cooks and washes up their dishes. And so it's, I won't say as an adult, I will say it's from inception. When they are small, what you teach them to do when they are small, then when they are adults, they will not depart from it. Hi guys, thank you for joining us on today's Monday Breakfast Show. I hope you guys will tune in next Monday, same time, to listen to the second part of this particular episode.